This morning, we're picking up in Galatians chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 21 to 31. It's Galatians 4, 21 to 31. And in our passage today, as Paul has done a few times before, he draws from the Old Testament to clarify the situation in Galatia. And in, in doing so, he blows open the doors of the discussion. He draws some stunning parallels. They rocked and angered some of his listeners, some of his readers. In our passage today, Paul writes about the child of slavery and the child of the promise. Just as we have witnessed before, these children were relevant in the Old Testament. They're relevant in Galatia. And they are relevant here today for us. Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 to 31. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, But his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. And this is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem. Because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Be glad, barren woman. You who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud. You who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son was born according to the flesh, persecuted. At that time, the son, born according to the flesh, persecuted the son, born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman but of the free woman. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word today, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. So Paul is painting a vivid and clear picture, an allegory for the church in Galatia and also for us. Abraham had two sons. They came from two separate women. They were born into two very different circumstances. The promise these verses carry for us can appear to be redundant as it is the same promise that has been echoed throughout the book of Galatians. But this is a new spin. The situation, the entire argument is put into a new light. Before we begin to dig into these verses, it is important to understand the context in which they are delivered. 
If we don't know the story of Hagar and Sarah, then these verses mean very little to us, or at least can be somewhat confusing, right? So Abram, Abram's the man that that God came and got in touch with, and he made a promise to Abram. He said, Abram, I'm going to make your descendants as many as the stars, as many as the sea on the sand. As many as the, 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 the sand on the seashore. There we go. Now I've said it right. right. As, as many pebbles of sand on the seashore. That's, that's how many your, uh, your offspring is going to be. That's, that's the number of your descendants. And Abram's thinking, all right. No, this sounds good. Abram was a person that pleased God. And so God makes him this promise. And then, and then the years go by. And they continue to go by. And it goes longer and longer. And Abram's starting to become an old man. And his wife, Sarah, or Sarai, she's getting older as well. And it's getting to the point where it's not really physically possible for them to be having children anymore. They've, they've passed the age of being able to have kids. And yet this promise is still looming large. It's still looming large. We read in in Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 to 4, and then we're going to skip ahead to verses 15 to 16. They they should be up here behind me. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, or Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. 86 years old, the first time he's a dad. But what's, what's happening here? Is, is Abram living under the promise? Is he living, is he trusting in the promise that was made to him by God? We continue reading in Genesis 17, now, now uh, 15 to 22. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. So at this point, Ishmael has already been born, right? Hagar has had Ishmael. Abram's already kind of figured out the solution to God's not giving me a child problem. I'm just going to figure out how to make this work myself. And yet God is still saying, no, my promise still stands. My promise has not gone away. You're no longer going to call your wife Sarai. Her name is now going to be Sarah, and I am still going to bless her with a child. Verse 17, Abram fell face down. He laughed. So God tells him he's still going to keep the promise, and Abraham laughs and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah 
bear a child at the age of 90. And Abram said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. How profound is that? If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. God, I fixed it for you. I fixed it for you. Just just follow what my plan is. You you waited too long. You kind of messed up, but don't worry, I got this. Why don't you just let Ishmael be the one that, that fulfills this promise? Then God said, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you, and I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. So, God gives Sarah and Abraham a son, Isaac. And Ishmael and Isaac, you know, as they get older, they don't get along. I can't imagine that that situations like that often went well in the Old Testament. I mean, it was was normal. The the practice of of having Hagar come in, that was was normal. Right? This is how they they dealt with with the infertility in the Old Testament. If, if If the wife couldn't couldn't bear children, then her, her maidservant would come in, and this, this is how they dealt with it at that point in time. So this was common, this was standard procedure. This wasn't deviating from customs. But I can't imagine how those relationships between those kids went, right? When, when you have the, the, the son who was, was born of someone else, and then, and then suddenly the wife is able to conceive and has a child that, they, they had a tense relationship, Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael is continually a thorn in the side of Isaac. And eventually, Abram had to send them away. And God still takes care of Ishmael and causes him to become a great nation. But it is clear that Isaac is the child of promise. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 1 reads, Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Verse 21 of our passage today says, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? Are you not aware of what the law says? When Paul, or what does Paul mean by those that are under the law? By you who want to be under the law. What is he saying there? At first reading, it can appear as though he's referencing those that are trying to obey the law. But he's actually talking about those that rely on it. That rely on it. Paul is saying that those who desire to live relying on the law, relying on the law to to bring them to glory, relying on the law to make themselves right before God, They have no idea what they truly desire. He's about to attempt to show them 
what they mean, and in so doing, turn their world on its head. In verses 22 to 23, we read, For it is written that Abraham, Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. Two sons from two different women, one of them born according to the flesh or in the ordinary way, the other born according to the promise. One born in slavery and one born free. This is such an important distinction to make for the points that Paul is about to to make clear. Verse 24, 25, these things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. And this is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. Paul drops the hammer. The whole situation in Galatia, the conflict there is that the Christians there are being told that in order to be a Christian, in order to be considered part of the promise, they need to be Jewish. They need to obey the Mosaic law. They need to live as good Jews. And here, Paul is saying that the child of slavery, the one that is attached to the law, is from Mount Sinai, where the law was originally given. And this is from Hagar. Hagar's not the Jew. She's not the Israelite. She's the Arab. And yet she is the one that Paul says corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. She's in slavery with her children. The Jews put such a strong emphasis on bloodlines, on their connection to Abraham through his son. Paul is saying that by trusting in the law, by relying on the law, by relying on the law for their salvation, that they are actually the spiritual descendants of the child born into slavery and not the child born through the promise. By relying on the law, they are actually the spiritual descendants of the Gentile Ishmael and not the Israelite Isaac. How so? How can Paul make this connection? Abraham had decided to take things into his own hands. He didn't think God was going to keep his promise, or at the very least, he doubted that he could. So he decided to help him along. You know, he slept with Hagar. He provided his own personal answer to the promise God had made him. He decided he was going to keep God's end of the covenant. He would do it on his own, through his own ability. Do we do that sometimes? Do we figure, nah, I got it. I don't, I don't need that. I mean, maybe it's instruction. Maybe it's the word. Maybe it's moral living. Maybe it's something as, as silly as cooking. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with a recipe and been like, yeah, I don't know if there's enough sugar in this. You know, I've got to add a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that. And, ah, you know, I didn't really like the way it tasted, so I'm going to 
I'm just going to do this my way. And pretty soon you're just ordering out because you totally destroyed the entire meal, right? You messed it up. You dabbled where you shouldn't have. You didn't trust what's established. You didn't trust. The result for Abraham was a disaster. There was and continues to be constant friction between the son from slavery, Ishmael, and the son from the promise, Isaac. Now there's some interesting insight into this friction from John Stott. John Stott said, The persecution of the true church is not always by the world who are strangers, but by our half-brothers, religious people, the nominal church. The greatest enemies of evangelical faith today are not unbelievers, but the church, the establishment, the hierarchy. Isaac is always mocked and persecuted by Ishmael. Isaac is always mocked and persecuted by Ishmael. Often from the outside, the church and the body of believers, right? I can't tell you how many times I I can get on my Facebook and see just mockery of of my beliefs. And some of that's because I have friends that are very non-Christian. And that's a personal choice. That's that's ministry that's maintaining relationships that sometimes hurt. (laughs) Because it's, it's just painful. It's annoying. It's frustrating to see how the world views us. And that's often how we view the situation between Ishmael and Isaac, is it's the church, it's outside, it's those that don't get it. They're the ones that are persecuting, right? They're the ones that are belittling and and, and making life hard for, for Isaac, for the church. But sometimes it's from inside the church. This is what's happening in Galatia. Those that are choosing to rely on the law are persecuting those that understand that they have been freed from relying on the law. The child of the law is persecuting the child of the promise. That's what Stott's getting into there within, within the church. He's talking about those who are like, no, as a Christian, this is how you must live. Kind of getting back to a few weeks ago when we talked about the Christian self-help books and the rules that we must live by now that we are Christian. This is how you must do it. And if you don't do it this way, if you don't trust this way, if you don't look this way, if you don't act this particular way, then you're not a child of the promise. That's what Ishmael tells us. Though the false teachers in Galatia proudly considered themselves related to Abraham by Sarah and Isaac, Paul says they are the spiritual descendants of the Gentile, of the slave woman, of the outcast. If we approach God through works of the law, if we attempt to approach through our own merit, our own works, the result is simply continued slavery. Slavery to the law that we cannot fulfill and slavery, chains, become the fruit of our lives. For we will be tempting to work off a debt that we can never afford. Again, this is talking about earning our way in. It's not talking about living a life according to the instructions of the word. 
It's talking about earning your way in. Initiating. Saying, I can do it. I've got a better plan. I've got a plan that works better for me. I don't need the promise. If we are living that way, if we are acting that way, we're just living deeper and deeper into slavery, trying to earn our way into salvation through works that are really just increasing our debt. Does it surprise us that God chooses to work in illogical ways? And this makes really no sense, right? Isaac should never have been born. Abraham, Sarah, they're too old. Does it surprise us that God chooses to work in illogical ways? The course of action that Moses, that Abraham chose, makes sense to us, does it not? It makes sense to us. Hagar was young. She was healthy. She was a good candidate for Abraham's line to spring forth from. And though it, was, you know, it wasn't God's plan, that was the culture. It's what they did. This is, how, this is how we try to do it, right? We try to inflect our own wisdom. We try to inflect our own sense of understanding, our own logic. Yet God scoffs at our logic. He scoffs at our wisdom. Like he does so often throughout the Bible, he uses the unlikely avenue. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And his plan is for Sarah to be the mother. His plan was always for Sarah to be the mother. And his grace is sufficient. He can work in ways that are beyond our human understanding or wisdom. Our God works in reversals. He works in ways that don't make sense to mankind. He blows the logic out of our minds. He told Gideon to send men home from his already smaller army in Judges chapter 6. And then uses that tiny army to overcome the massive numbers of their adversaries. God chose fishermen to be his disciples that would become the church fathers. He didn't use influential, affluent individuals, but hard laboring fishermen. God chose a virgin, one who could not possibly conceive to be the mother of his son. And God chose to allow his son to die in our place, to bear the burden of the sin of all humanity from creation until sin ceases to exist. He chose his son to be the bearer of all that for you and for me. And God opened the womb of an old woman, one who is past bearing age, proving that he has a plan and that he will fulfill his promises and that he can do what man does not understand, what man cannot even imagine. Because God gives grace to the barren. God gives grace to the barren. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 to 25, as we read earlier this morning, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. 
Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Where is the wise person? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? God does not work according to our wisdom. And often, he tends to work in spite of it, in direct contradiction to it. What a blessing that is for us. What a hope we have because God does not work according to the wisdom of the world. We are children of God, heirs with Christ. We are spiritual descendants of Abraham through the child born of the free woman, through Isaac, the child of promise. And just as God fulfilled his promise to Abraham and gave him a son, we know that he will fulfill and has fulfilled his promises to us. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ is real and it is fulfilled. The promise that because of Christ, our sin is as far from us as the east is from the west. That promise is real and it is fulfilled. The promise of eternity worshiping our Lord God in heaven is real. We will experience that. It will be fulfilled. God keeps his promises to his people. Not because we have done something to earn them or to merit them, but because he has promised. And our God is able. Amen.